This is Salt City Hoops on ESPN 700. We'll have two hours of advanced analysis, the X's and O's, headlines around the NBA, and breakdown of your Utah Jazz. Here are your hosts, Zach Harper and Andy Larson, on Utah's number one sports talk, ESPN 700. Salt City Hoops show, ESPN 700. He's Andy Larson, the beat writer for the Utah Jazz at KSL.com. He's also the managing editor of Salt City Hoops, the True Hoop affiliate for the Utah Jazz. You can find me on Twitter at Ben's Hoops. I'm a contributor at KSL.com. Find Andy on Twitter at Andy B. Larson. This is the Salt City Hoops show. Next two hours, we're going to be talking some jazz basketball and the NBA, and it's nice to have jazz basketball back, which yeah. is what we want. Yeah, and I mean, it's kind of funny because we're in the middle of this three-day break, right, before the Jazz play again on Friday, but I thought we learned a lot about this Jazz team over this last weekend and, and tempered some hype a little bit, right, too, with, with some losses against the Portland Trail Blazers and the Houston Rockets and a, a pretty questionable win against the tanking Dallas Mavericks. Right. Uh, yeah, not, not a great win. Then again, how, how well have the Jazz been playing even going into the break? I mean, I know they beat the Spurs, which was great. Right. Spurs are not playing great right now, or at least weren't before the break. Uh, and then they struggled with the Suns. So the, the, it, I'm not sure if the Jazz have been playing great basketball, even though they were on an 11-game streak, which is as good as you can get, basically. Agreed. And, and maybe that comes back to Ricky Rubio's injury, right? He gets injured right before that. And it's he, there was one game where the Jazz played well without Ricky Rubio, and that was at Portland. But then the, the four other games since then... I guess it's five games now. Uh, they've really struggled offensively, and it's kind of like if the Jazz have good Ricky Rubio, then you know they're actually a a really competent, good, uh, fun to watch offensive team. And if Rubio's not there, or if uh, he's missing shots, then it's then it can be ugly. And I think we've seen that throughout the season. Uh, you can tweet at us, as I mentioned, at Andy B Larson. At Ben's Hoops on Twitter, we want to hear from you. You've got questions about the Utah Jazz. We want to answer them. You can also give us a call, 877-353-0700. I'm not worried about what's going on with the Jazz. I mean, it's not a concern that they've lost two of three. It's not great. You would have rather be two and one right now, but I didn't expect the streak to continue to go on after the break. You know, you kind of figured with Ricky Rubio coming back from a hip injury— that maybe he was going to be banged up or not be playing at all. And the fact that he came back but clearly doesn't look like he's 100% to me when he's out there, yeah. I'm not surprised the Jazz have lost the game. And, truthfully, they're not supposed to beat the Houston Rockets, who legitimately might have a chance to win a championship this year. Yeah, no, and, and it's it's kind of a bummer because I think without Eric Gordon and Ryan Anderson and Quinn Capella, you had a chance to beat the Houston Rockets. And, and I don't know that the Rockets even played that well. Um, they played really well on the defensive end. I don't think they played very well on offense whatsoever. So you... you agreed that you come into the season looking at a, a date with the Western Conference leading Houston Rockets and you you don't think oh that's that's a win um but it, given the circumstances last night where they were coming off a back-to-back against the Denver Nuggets you know two altitude teams uh with a lot of their roster injured and, and only a nine-man rotation available I think it's a game that it's fair to be disappointed that the Jazz didn't pick up I'll tell you this too, Ben. What the the other thing is just how many of these kind of close 50-50 matchups that their Western Conference opposition have won? Yeah, I mean, the New Orleans Pelicans are on a on a huge run right now. They won seven straight. Uh, you've got the Clippers playing well. You've got the the even Minnesota playing well. Blazers even are without well. Jimmy Butler. I mean, at Blazers least they, are, I mean they're getting wins that they need to right. get, like here in Salt Lake a couple of nights ago. Yeah, I, I, yeah. Portland's won three in a row, and and it's. 
it seemed like you know the West had shrunk, and then San Antonio wins at Cleveland. I mean, all all of this kind of stuff is, quite frankly, not going in the Jazz's favor so far. And, and it, it is at that point now where this is going to start getting tight. Yeah. You're only going to have 20 games left, and you're going to have to make up three games against teams that are really trying hard to win, and some of them might be playing against teams that aren't necessarily trying to win. So when New Orleans goes and, and beats somebody in a surprise win or comes back and wins, or was the other night Portland, I think, won by two in Phoenix? Like Those, yeah, are, the games, by, yeah. those are the games you need to get to go your direction to have a little bit of luck to get into that 8-7 seed. And that's a great example of a game because Phoenix was up by 13 in the fourth quarter with seven minutes to go. Uh, Dame Lillard goes off, and, and the, the Blazers come back, but the Suns still have a chance to win the game with the ball in hands, 20 seconds left, and they get a five-second inbounding violation, yeah. right? Like that, it, uh, sure, that team has all the incentive in the world to tank, but like at, at some point you just have to roll your eyes and right. be like, how is this happening? I mean, uh, the, the, the Pelicans uh, losing to the Bucks in overtime on Sunday involved a Rajon Rondo banked in three-point right. shot from the wing, not even from straight away, and uh, and Jason Terry hit a game-winning three, but it was still in his hands as the buzzer expires. So, you know, it's just these little tiny game of inches sort of things. They will have to go the Jazz's way in order for the Jazz to make the playoffs. So the Jazz are two and a half games back of the eighth seed right now of the Denver Nuggets, uh, and there are 21 games left on the Jazz schedule. Andy, let's go over these last 21 games really quick and just kind of look at who the sure. Jazz are going to be playing. Friday, nice thing is you have three days off before you play Friday here at home against the Minnesota Timberwolves. Yeah, and, and again, with without Jimmy Butler, you have an opportunity to win against a, a better team, or at least a better team records-wise, uh, records I should right. say. Uh, I mean, I, I think that team has relied on Jimmy Butler in a lot of different ways this season. Um, he's really made it a cohesive unit for them. And, and for... Uh, in order for the Jazz to, again, have a chance in this Western Conference picture, they, they've lost both games against Minnesota so far. Maybe you want to tie that tiebreaker and have it go to another category if, if you were and to end up tying with Minnesota at the end of the year. And there, here's what's tough for Minnesota. They play the night before at the Portland Trail Blazers another 8-30 game. So this game here right. is an eight thirty game. It's a nationally televised game. But they're playing the night before at Portland, which is another tough game against a team trying to make the playoffs. Honestly, you hope the Timberwolves win that game and then come and lose to the Jazz. That would yeah. be an ideal situation because then you can pick up a full game on the Blazers in just a night. Uh, but the nice thing is coming to Utah on the second night of a back-to-back is really difficult, even though Houston showed last night you can certainly get that win. Unless you think that Minnesota has a better chance to fall below the the Portland Trail Blazers, which I don't think they do. I think you, you'd still pick the Timberwolves to, to finish higher with even without Jimmy Butler, but right. Like, take 538's model, for example. They've got the Timberwolves finishing with 48 wins and the Blazers finishing with 47 wins. Right. It has no idea that Jimmy Butler's hurt. You know, that, that absolutely could make up one game, maybe more. And then all of a sudden, it's it's hard because in those kind of intra-game matchups and, and or intra, I guess, Western Conference matchups that we're looking at, and tonight is a great example of them with the Clippers and the Nuggets. Uh, uh, you know, we, it's it, you almost don't know who to root for. we got a whole gang of kids in the studio all of a sudden. Yeah. What's this group? Nah, they're we not don't listening know. to us. Okay. They don't care. I wanted to they're say in the studio, but yeah. they don't care about us. Yeah, well, they're us. not listening to us, clearly. No one else is listening either. That's all right. They're on a tour guide. Uh, you can tweet at us at Andy B. Larson, at Ben's Hoops on Twitter. So the Jazz play Minnesota coming up on Friday, and then the schedule really starts to ease up to a point where I think the Jazz can get some wins. 
Uh, they do go and play at Sacramento, but Sacramento's not trying to win games. Yeah, that should be a win for the win. Jazz. They get Orlando at home. That absolutely has to be a win. You've got to win that one. So you've got two wins so far the rest of the way. And that's if you don't beat Minnesota, which I think you're going to have a good opportunity to do. Mm-hmm. Wednesday, you're on the road at Indiana. That's a very tough game. I, I don't know. Like they've Indiana's been struggling a little bit recently. I mean, they lost to Dallas but they're, um, last night. They're trying home. to win games. They're absolutely trying to win games. And, yeah, that's that's a tough one. Uh, they are seven and three in their last ten, so maybe Dallas last night was a was an outlier, but still, I, I think that is that's certainly a winnable game. Uh, from Indiana, you travel and go at Memphis again. Memphis is not trying to win games, but Memphis is just tough. It's just a yeah. tough place to play when you're in Memphis. Huge game on the road Sunday, March 11th. Afternoon game should be fun to watch when you're taking on the Pelicans. Yeah, and and that's a you're absolutely right. A, a big matchup and. You know, do you prevent Anthony Davis from scoring 50? Because last time he scored only 15 points against the Jazz, right. and and last night scored 53 and had 17 rebounds to boot. Right. I mean, uh, he's on an MVP level tear right now, and and it's just kind of whether or not that can continue until March 11th, and the Jazz can do anything about it. You get Detroit at home, you get the Suns at home, you get Sacramento at home, then you get the Hawks at home, then you travel and play the Mavericks. That should be a five-game winning streak. Yes. Which, Absolutely. Which helps you jump up way above 500, and that's when you start to close the gaps on some of these teams that are probably going to finish with 45 wins on the year, 46 right. wins on the year, and that's how you get yourself back in the playoff picture. Tough game, your final game of the season at the Spurs. Not your final game of the total season, but the last time you have to play the Spurs this year, and again, on the second night of a back-to-back. But yeah. at least it's Dallas to San Antonio. It's not you know Los Angeles to San Antonio, which would be crazy. Yeah, I'll, I'll be on that road trip, and, and you know, at least you also have the kind of the – you've. You've beat the San Antonio Spurs three times on a back-to-back this season, so it's it's not something you haven't done before. This is a really key stretch for the Jazz. That San Antonio game Friday night. Sunday they play this, the Warriors mm-hmm. at Oracle Arena. Then Wednesday they got a nice break, but they get the Boston Celtics here at home, and then you get the Memphis Grizzlies here at home, and then that is Sunday, uh, a couple days later, you have to travel and play on the road at Minnesota. You talk Spurs, Warriors, Celtics... Memphis, Minnesota, you have to beat Memphis. And ideally, yeah. you can go 2-2 two and two in that stretch. If you go 2-2 two and two in that stretch, Jazz are going to be in pretty good shape. Yeah, I agree, because you, you look at the rest of the season, and it's two games against the Lakers, which you should be able to win. I, I should I say 2-3 and three in that stretch, because there's five games there. You're talking San Antonio, Golden State, Boston, Memphis, Minnesota. Right. Yeah. yeah. Count uh, Memphis as a win, because it's going to be here in Salt Lake, and you've got to get that game. You've got to win at least one more of those games. Yeah, and I think at home against Boston is a real opportunity. I think that team is not as good as its record. Right. Um, and then, yeah, I, I think there's no reason you can't win one of the away games, San Antonio, Golden State, Minnesota. Um, you shouldn't be favored to by any means, but, you know, it's, you get three shots at it. You, you know, one of them should go well. Uh, and then you've got two games against the Lakers in April. The, the, that's nice. You've got a chance to pass the Clippers right. on Thursday, April 5th. I think by then, honestly, the Jazz, if they haven't passed the Clippers, it's a bad sign. Right. Uh, just because, again, the schedule is so much easier for the Jazz than the Clippers is through through March. Um, and then you have Golden State at, at home here in Salt Lake on Tuesday, April 10th. And Golden State might be resting their guys at that Very point. Very well, could be. Uh, uh, I, I, do you think they're terribly concerned about getting the number one seed? I think they'd like it. You know, I, I think if... I think if it's within two games at that point, if they still have a chance, I think they will respect the process, if you will, and play their best players. Um, but it may be a case of your scoreboard watching or maybe a case yeah. of 
you know, you if Houston wins their game, you end up pulling your guys at right. halftime. Or whatever. And those guys might only end up playing yeah, 18 minutes total yeah. on the night. They're starters. And then your last game of the season, which looks like right now it's going to be huge, on the road at Portland, that could potentially... I mean, that could be a play-in game for the sure. playoffs, depending on how Portland looks. So should be a very exciting stretch. But you look at the number of games that are winnable. A couple of games against the Lakers. You get the Clippers here at home. Though the Clippers are good. That should be winnable. You get Memphis twice. Those should be winnable games. You get Dallas. You get Atlanta. You get the Kings twice. And then you've got some games on the road you got to win. you got to beat New Orleans one time. Yep. You know, you've got to find a way to steal a couple of games, maybe beat Indiana. Uh, and if you can do that, the Jazz are going to find themselves in good shape and be in the playoffs. And if they can't win those games, which we've seen the Jazz in years past not win those games two years ago specifically. I mean, the Jazz had odds with five games left in the season. It's that 95% the Jazz are going to make the playoffs. And they lose to a Clippers team that has nobody playing. And under Jamal Crawford, late three, I think that sent the game to overtime, yep. or at least in Salt Lake, Jazz lose that game and end up missing the playoffs and might have changed kind of the, the future history of this Jazz team. Yeah, I think that's that's a real question is, you know, if if Gordon, if you go to the playoffs that year, then does Gordon Hayward feel better about it? I, I don't know that it mattered that much to Gordon sure. Hayward's decision, what happened two years ago. But but anyway, uh, I really like what Dan Clayton of Salt City Hoops has done, and, and you can check it out on his Twitter feed. And he's put kind of this whole playoff race into one image for us and, and kind of breaking down how many games the the rest of these these eight teams really there are eight teams that are fighting for spots three through ten uh, have in in this Western Conference playoff picture and so uh, you've got the Jazz have ten games against the bottom ten teams kind of the tanking ten teams the most any other team has is seven right. that's a huge advantage huge advantage uh, and then you've got a lot of teams with six and and one team even with five so uh, the San Antonio Spurs and so. Maybe you would you would rather have that be the Nuggets or or the the Thunder or the Pelicans that only have five, but you know you're it's it's still nice to see. Uh, and then you look at the tiebreaker situation. And I think the Jazz are pretty well situated Very there. Favorably, they've lost the tiebreaker to Oklahoma City, and they've already won it against San Antonio. But then looking at Minnesota, you're down 0-2, so you can't win that one. But it's going to be close. But you are up 2-1 versus Portland, 2-1 versus the Pelicans, and 2-1 versus against the Clippers, uh, all of whom are teams that you could very well end up tied with. So that's that's another good scenario for, for the Jazz. Jazz have 10 teams that, that are tanking, according to Dan Clayton? No, I, still, I think they're... Still on their roster? I think they're still on their schedule? Uh, he did the bottom 10 teams. Okay. So that includes, for example, the Lakers. Okay, right. Uh, but, who but, may not be tanking, but, but... the Jazz have 10 games left against those teams. They have 10 games left against win those, the bottom you, 10 teams. You get up to 41 wins, because you're at 31 wins right now. And then, yeah, you've got to win some games. But if you're a playoff team, you've got to be able to win games. Right. And, and hopefully a couple of these break your way. San Antonio rests a guy. Or not that they can rest of anyone, really. I mean, they're still <laughs> fighting for players, playoff spots. Right. But Boston might be in a spot where they just don't have everyone healthy, or they say, hey, you know what? We're comfortable with where we are in the East, or or late in the season, the Golden State Warriors want to sit a guy. That that's your opportunity to get up to forty five wins. Yeah, and, and honestly, then uh, the there is a real question: is does does forty five wins do it? I mean, with how good these Western Conference teams have been at avoiding those losses. I mean, again, right now, just looking at the five thirty eight model, and you've got the Nuggets and Pelicans finishing with forty five wins. Uh, the Clippers 44 wins and the Jazz 44 wins. If the Jazz can get up to 45 and fi- and kind of force that three-way tie, well, the tiebreaker situation would probably mean that they would get in. But it's it's not a sure thing. It kind of depends how the Jazz play that last game against New Orleans on the road because then you'd have a, a 2-2 tiebreaker in both of those series. So there's just so much to think about, so much to, to root for, and, and it's 
again, like I say, with with games like tonight, where you've got the Blazers, or sorry, the uh, Clippers and and the Nuggets, Nuggets playing, you almost don't know who to root for. Inevitably, you're going to pick up a game on somebody. Yeah, which is good. That's good news for the Jazz. The more these teams play each other, the better spot the Jazz are going to be in, and that's what they need to do. Agreed. Uh, for what it's worth, I do think that if you're a Jazz fan, I think you have to root for the the Clippers tonight, just because I think you have to pass the Clippers no matter what. You need a second team to fall out, and I think that's probably most likely to be the Nuggets. Okay, so you want to see the Nuggets lose, even though the Jazz, you, you know they have to pass the Clippers regardless. Even if the Clippers win games, you're going to have to pass them. So you need that second team, which would be the Nuggets in this scenario, to go. That's my rationale. Uh, Trailblazers also playing tonight, but they're at home against the Kings, so that should Sacramento. absolutely be a W. Other games going on right now, the Nets on the road at the Cavaliers, all tied up at 99 Maybe that score is wrong. I think I saw it at 111 just a second ago. So maybe my scores are jumping all over the place. But uh, close game late between the Nets and the Cavaliers, which is a bad sign for the Cavs. It is 111 to 111 with uh, under three minutes to go. Wizards on the road at the Bucks. They're knocking off the Bucks 64-50. That game is at the half. Bulls already lost to the Hornets uh, late in that one. And then the uh, 76ers are on the road at the Heat in a tight game as well. Uh, I don't know if anyone after this trade deadline is showing that they got significantly, significantly better. I liked what the Cavs did going into it because Mm -hmm. I thought they had to rebuild and get players around LeBron that made sense. But I'm not sure now, as we've seen them play since they've come out of the break, that they did anything that's going to make them world beaters come the end of the season. Yeah, and I I think it's... uh, The best thing about that trade was kind of getting LeBron back on track. But I I think you're right. You're you're seeing that, you know, we we knew Jordan Clarkson and Larry Nance and, and honestly Rodney Hood were players with with... Uh, issues you know they were not perfect players and that's why they were traded uh, I, I think they've had some struggles in, in terms of uh, integrating themselves into this Cavs team and as a result yeah I, I don't think that it was it was fair to expect them to win every game from here on out but uh, to be tied or losing actually right now to the Nets is a <laughs> is a bad sign right Nets are a team that I mean again the Nets own this Cavs pick or the Cavs own this Nets pick so the Nets aren't uh, in any spot where they need to be losing games but still, you're the Cavs late in the year, and you want yeah. to win games, and you should be able to beat this Brooklyn team, especially because it will help you in the long term with that pick. You want more Nets losses, and if the Cavs can't control their destiny in a game like this, that's a really bad sign. I think they will probably, uh, I think they will probably move Rodney Hood into the starting lineup uh, over J.R. Smith or Seti Osman at some point. Yeah. For sure. Uh, and good for Rodney Hood. Rodney Hood should yeah. be starting. I don't suspect that Rodney Hood ends up re-signing in Cleveland next year. Unless yeah. LeBron leaves, they're just on the repeater tax right now. And if Rodney Hood's able to get $15 million at the repeater tax, they're going to be paying, because I think this is their third year, it's going to end up costing him $45 million for right. Rodney Hood. And truthfully, he's not a $45 million player. No. Because their questions are whether or not he's a $15 million player. Yeah, I, I agree with that. and I think if, But I also think it's more likely that LeBron leaves than that he doesn't. And so if LeBron does leave, then why not have Rodney Hood on your team? And Because he's a, he's a youngish player who could carry the scoring load a little bit moving forward and, and isn't going to ruin whatever you, you know, whatever young player you bring in or whatever you think the next iteration of the Cavs team is. I, I, I don't know how big Rodney Hood's potential is, but, you know, it's, it, I guess he's more likely to be a lead scorer type, maybe more likely to be worth something in a, a potential superstar kind of trade as a quarter kind of sized piece, if you will. Uh, than, say, a Chetty Osman or a J.R. Smith or someone like that. You can tweet at us at Andy B. Larson, at Ben's Hoops on Twitter. We'd love to hear from you. Uh, Riley O'Brien tweeted and says, What are each of your expectations, emotions, when the Jazz drafted Dante Exum versus what they are now? Have they changed? 
Yeah, I mean, I was in Brazil at the time, actually, at the 2014 World Cup. Uh, and so I got the the news like three hours late, and I was I was ecstatic. You know, I think everyone expected Dante Exum to be selected number four by the Orlando Magic, and then when he was when he slipped to five, and and the Magic went Aaron Gordon. I think Dante Exum seemed like the perfect piece to to lead the Jazz, and and had this kind of superstar potential that everyone was very excited about. We haven't seen any bit of that in in Utah, and I I, th- I maybe flashes of it in summer league, but that's a very different thing. Um, and so, yeah, I think it's fair to say that they have changed. And I think when you look at Dante Exum, who I think everyone knew was a high risk, high reward pick, you have to say that it's so far ended up on the side of the higher risk. Right. Now, that doesn't mean that Dante Exum can't come back for the last 20 games and, and set the roof on fire. I just think it's probably, to be fair, more likely that he doesn't than than that he does. Uh, I, I Absolutely, my opinions have changed on it. Remember, there was a consensus top four in that draft. And it was uh, Andrew Wiggins, Jabari Parker, Joel Embiid, and Dante Exum. Yeah. And it was billed as the best draft since 2003 when you had LeBron and you had Darko and you had Dwayne Wade and you had Chris Bosh and you had Carmelo. Uh, So absolutely this expectation, especially from a guy like Dante Exum, who so few people had seen. And even then, this shows how much technology has changed in, what, five years now? I mean, the amount of video we have now on guys like Dante Exum is tenfold. What we had even five years ago, I feel like. And Maybe, the but of I don't research know that we, feel, we we have now. I don't know that there's been a prospect like Dante to come through. You know, just to come out of the Australian right. National Basketball Academy and to not have played in college and not really have played at like a high high school level to right. only have a few games in like Nike Hoop Summit and stuff like that, and then to choose to take the year off, right, and not play. Not there say, just aren't that many of those guys. Oh, I'm gonna go play overseas because I want to get paid. I want to do the Emmanuel Mudiay thing where he you know went to China and made a little bit of money. Dante didn't do that at all. He went this really weird route of just saying, I'm going to sit out and work with, was it Rob Palinka yeah, at the time? Trained. And said, I'm just going to train with him in LA, and that's going to make me better. And a lot of people were saying, I mean, every draft expert was saying, if this guy played in college, he might be the number one pick. Right. He might be better than Wiggins. He might be better than Jabari Parker. Obviously, that's not the case. Right. And, and I think that's fair to say, uh, like, uh, honestly, if I were an agent advising a young player and in, in going into the draft who had some hype around him, I would say not to play. Honestly, if because... There's a lot of evidence that says that if if you can kind of keep your name out of keep your 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 game out of the scouts' eyes, if you will, and kind of where you can pick out weaknesses and things like that, then you might have a better chance of being drafted higher rather than lower. Right. Uh, I'm surprised more people haven't done what Dante Exum has done. Yeah. In all honesty, because eventually it'll catch up to guys and they'll start drafting it, or that they, they'll stop drafting guys in Dante's position. But why do that? I mean, be the first guy who who does kind of game the system a little bit and sneaks through without having to prove anything at the college level because guys do slip because of how they go and play at college. Yeah, and and I think it has to be for that reason. You know, I, I think if you are skipping college because of bad grades or because of uh, disciplinary stuff, you know, I think that that makes it that's a red flag, right? And I don't know that what Dante did and and really what happened with Ennis Cantor where it was a disciplinary thing from the NCAA just about amateurism right. uh, is a very different story and, and I think was ultimately looked maybe too favorably on by general managers. That being said, we don't know if Dante Exum would have been a good pick if he stays healthy, right? right. Like, I, I, And he still has a chance to be a good right. pick. And had a really good second half of his rookie season. Yeah. I mean, was solid. Was not really good, but was was very solid. Was a yeah, a reasonable starting point guard. I I, I okay, maybe not, but uh, one of the worst starting point guards in the league and yet didn't ruin the Jazz in that season. Uh and I would say this, I'm I like the idea that his new role might be reduced. 
Yeah, maybe I, nothing better could have happened from him coming back off this injury than having Donovan Mitchell show up and do what he does. That's going to allow the pressure to drop off of Dante's shoulders, so he can just kind of progress at his own rate. Yeah, I agree. I think what you get from Dante Exum is is looked at as a bonus, and and because right now he's going to come into the rotation and immediately take minutes from Alec Burks, who I don't think either of us have been impressed with over the last month, two months, uh, even. And maybe some minutes from Howell Neto as well, who, again, who has played well, but I, I don't know that anyone's really uh, pining to see that rather than Dante Exum. You can tweet at us at Andy B. Larson, at Ben's Hoops on Twitter. This is the Salt City Hoops Show. We're going to take a quick break. When we come back, speaking of Dante Exum and his injuries, we want to talk about some of the great what-ifs in Utah Jazz history. We'll also take more of your questions, as I mentioned. You can call us 877-353-0700. This is the Salt City Hoops Show on ESPN 700, Utah's number one sports talk. You're listening to Salt City Hoops on Utah's number one sports talk, ESPN 700. Salt City Hoops show, ESPN 700, 729. He's Andy Larson. I'm Ben Anderson, and he's the beat writer for the Utah Jazz at KSL.com, where I am also a contributor. You can tweet at us, at Andy B. Larson on Twitter or at Ben's Hoops. We would love to talk to you. Love to hear your questions. We're going to be here until 9 o'clock, so another uh, 90 minutes or so. Yeah. So we'd love to hear from you. Uh, we got Spider Larry asking a question on Twitter for us. Do you think that's an ode to Donovan Mitchell? It might be, yes. Can I say something about that nickname? Sure. First of all, it. I don't love it. Uh, it just doesn't feel that original to me. But here's what I do like it. I don't like it as the idea of Spider-Man. I like the idea of it as the small convertible European cars, and in Europe, convertibles okay. are called Spiders. Yeah. Like a Porsche Spider. I think Ferrari calls their cars Spiders as well, when it's a convertible. And he feels more like that to me. Because he's just kind of compact and mm. small, but really fast and flies once he gets going. Okay. He reminds me more of the convertible spider, but that's not spider. That's a spider. Uh, but, but then he, go, he goes by spider, too. So. But I guess... I don't think of him as Spider-Man. He doesn't have a Spider-Man body. He doesn't have any Peter Parker-ish to me. Though he's kind of goofy the off the floor. He's got the wingspan. He's a little goofy off the floor. But it's not my favorite fit for him. I disagree. That it, as, have, who was the last player to be called Spider or any... I, Wasn't there like an and one guy that was Spider or something? I don't know. Yeah. Let's be honest. I don't know the and one mixtape tour or whatever. Uh, anyway. <laughs> I think there was. There was a guy called Spider-Man on the and one tour. There Look was. it up for me. I think I'm looking it up right now. Uh, I'll, while you do that, I'll read Larry's question. <laughs> How many of these stars could be playing for a different team next year? We've got John Wall, Kawhi Leonard, Anthony Davis, Kevin Love, LeBron James, and Paul George. I think most likely to move on that list... Is is the free agent, LeBron James. And Paul George is a free agent. Sure. So, uh, yeah, the two free agents are the most likely. I'm trying to decide if LeBron or Paul George is more likely to move. I would say I LeBron. Think, I think it's LeBron. There's a greater clock and greater legacy at stake for LeBron not moving. And I think with Paul George, the, the, the two LA teams have such weird futures that it's hard to commit there when you've got actually a pretty good situation that he's turned out to like in Oklahoma City. And he's playing really well recently. He's probably yeah. might win Defensive Player of the Year. Yeah, yeah, absolutely has a shot at it. Um, heck, so does Rudy Gobert at this point, despite right. only playing 60 games. I think um, they'll give it to the star. How about, yeah. In, I, in, agreed. And not that Gobert's not a star, but let's be honest, he's not Paul George as far as the, the, the national perspective. And if Paul George can do that there, and let's say they can win a first-round series, I bet he sticks around in Oklahoma City. I'm still betting LeBron stays just because guys more often stay than leave, mm -hmm. but it wouldn't. it's like 60-40, 55-45. It wouldn't be at all surprise me to see if he ends up in... I would love to see him go to Philly. I think that'd be really fun. I suspect he ends up in Houston. 
I yeah, I, I I'm with you on both counts, honestly. Um, I well, I'll tell you that I I think he leaves more likely than he stays, okay. just because I do think it's been clear from the last couple of months that he's really fed up with kind of the situation in Cleveland, and I, honestly. Not only from a, a player personnel point of view, where I think he's realized that he's got a really expensive roster with no flexibility that, uh, frankly, isn't good enough. Uh, just doesn't have the defense. Doesn't have you know. Even with a trade, it right. still has a lot of problems. And even with the number one, even with that top pick that they have, even if it ends up at number five, I mean, you can get DeAndre Ayton, and maybe they do. I'm not sure that, that next year makes you a contender. You know, you still yeah. might be three years away, and LeBron, three years away, has two years left. Right. And that's just too little. Then, then he's talking to win, hoping to win two championships before his career is over. And he wants yeah. to win four more. Yeah. You know, he wants to retire with seven championships and have one more than Jordan, or at least tie Jordan with as many as he's won. And he could go to Houston next year and be the favorite to win a champion, a championship. Cavs did end up coming back in that game, beating the Nets. By the way, yes. Uh, <laughs> Finally, <laughs> someone beat the again. Nets. Yeah, I know. Uh, except they're not tanking. They don't have a, right. You know. Cavs get that pick. Uh, who else? Who's Good. who's next on that team? Most likely to be traded. That's a great question. John uh, Wall, Kawhi Leonard, Anthony Davis, Kevin Love. I don't believe the Kawhi Leonard stuff. Would, that he's likely to be traded? Yeah, I don't believe that. And I also think I that we've seen the Spurs in the past put out these fires. Because remember, Marcus Aldridge yeah. was almost for sure gone, it felt like, 18 months ago. Maybe even a year Six ago months now. Ago. Yeah, it was not yeah, that long like, ago. That it was, he was summer. out. He was going to be gone. And now it seems like he wants to be there for the rest of his career. Right. Uh, I'm with you. I, I think... By far the most likely guy under contract on that list is Kevin Love, just because if the Cavs go in a different direction, then Kevin Love is a much more valuable team, uh, valuable player to a different team yep. than he is to the Cavs, uh, who would be rebuilding at that point. Um, Anthony Davis, I, I just still don't think you can trade Anthony Davis based on how young he is, how good he is, and if you trade him, you're the guy who traded Anthony Davis. You know, I, I, right? Not just the team, but the general manager that traded him always has to live with that. Right. That's and, your moniker now. And so, you know, Dell Demps wouldn't do that because he would be immediately fired. Uh, and then if it's the new guy who comes in, then you you you're starting your regime by trading away Anthony Davis rather than trying to sell. You know, one of the best young players in the NBA on staying here with with some of right. your new additions and new pieces. That's I, I don't think it makes sense. So crazy, Anthony Davis. Off the top of your head, how old do you think he is? Like, I, I'm thinking yeah. like he's like 25. He's 23 still. Right. He's so young, and you control his contract through 2020, 2021. Right. I mean, that's the be- that's beyond the end of the Warriors run. You yeah. know, that's beyond the end of the Warriors run. That's why everyone's signaling 2019. You've got him two years beyond the summer of 2019, which is amazing. So you've got him at 23 years old. He's not even close to his prime. He generally, I know people think he's, he, he's injury prone. He's really not. He plays a lot of games every yeah. year, but he has such a high workload and has kind of a weird body that he has to guard some guys that in the future they'll build better players around him. So hopefully he doesn't have to play that type of defense. He can just be a help defender. But don't trade a guy that you have three years left on his deal and absolutely no urgency to move him. Agreed. And I, I don't think they will. I think hopefully whoever runs the Pelicans is just smarter than that. Right. And if you have to move him, move him in the summer of 2020, before his last season, and you're still going to get whatever you want for him. Yeah. I mean, whatever you would get now, it's not unreasonable to ask for the same thing when you get that last year of Anthony Davis. Agreed. So Even th- even if you do it next season, uh, you know, it, it, this offseason doesn't make a lot of sense as, as, a, as a time to trade him. Uh, I can see John Wall getting moved. Here's the hard part about trading John Wall. I don't know the teams trade for him. Right. Which is crazy, right? I mean, but he's got kind of the Blake Griffin thing going on, but much, much worse of... He's being paid $37.8 million yeah. in 2019, $40 million yeah. in 2020, 
$43 million for t- in 2021. And then in 2022, $46.8 million. And let's, let's make the and Blake Griffin argument. As, as, as Blake Griffin at his best is what position power forward in the NBA? What, third best third power forward? Yeah, sure. John Wall at his best can still probably be, th- be there as a point guard, but it's such a deep position that the gap between John Wall Honestly, and... Uh, I think peak John Wall is probably the third best point guard in the league. Okay. I mean... Here's what I'll say, though. The gap to number 10 in power forwards agreed. is significantly larger than the gap in point guards to number 10. Yes. By a, a ton. I just don't think you can pay 32-year-old John Wall $46.8 million. I agree. That's and, crazy. Right? Like that's That, to me, is what it is. And then you look at how the the uh, Wizards have been playing without John Wall and with Thomas Sadoransky, who's secretly been killing it over in Washington. Yeah. They've been playing really well. Like, Sadoransky's been there. The, without John Wall in the lineup, they are 7-2. and two. Also, apparently, John Wall's not that likable. No. Uh, by all accounts, is is not a good teammate. Uh, is the kind of guy who uh, presents off-court issues as well. I guess I'll, I'll put it that way. Uh, was not a good influence on Trey Burke and vice versa. Was another, right. you know, just like stuff like that, where it, it's clear that he's difficult to play with. And you're gonna bring that guy and pay him forty-six million dollars as a as a thirty-two-year-old. I just don't think there's a team who needs a point guard that badly to say yes. Right. Uh, and, and again, as we mentioned. The gap between the 10th best point guard in the NBA and what he gives you and what John Wall gives you is not that huge. Right. It's not this huge gap. Now, I know John Wall's gone out and won a playoff series and looked great doing it, but you know who's the 10th best point guard in the NBA right now? Like This is a stacked point yeah, like guard Mike league Conley. right now. Right, and the only reason he's not six is because he's not healthy, but that's honestly what you're getting with the 10th best point guard. There are nights where Damian Lillard's the 10th best point guard in the NBA, and Damian Lillard, John Wall, any night, is they're just as good as one another. Yeah, you know, right. and that's the same thing. John Wall can slip back to being any night the tenth best point guard in the league because there are so many good ones. Yeah, I, I mean, the Jazz would be like a perfect team to to kind of go out and acquire him, right? Like needing a star, could put him next to Donovan Mitchell, uh, and, and you need a point guard of the future that you know you probably don't think Ricky Rubio is that guy, but you're just you just can't pay John Wall, especially with some of the knee problems he's had this yep. season too. You can't pay a guy like that 40 million dollars a year for the next 4 years. So, uh, Spider Larry to answer your question, LeBron and Paul George the most likely to get traded. Kevin Love's probably in probably in Number there three. too. Uh I would say Kawhi f- no, I'd say John Wall 4 for sure. Kawhi 586. I put Kawhi above John Wall just because, again, that I don't know that any team trades for him. Because okay. the the issue of there's no team that wants there's no demand rather than sure. supply. Okay, that's uh, that's certainly possible. Teams do. I mean, there are stupid teams out there. I mean, I, I don't know. I think Detroit was smart to trade for Blake Griffin because you got to get a star. Maybe someone will convince themselves sure. the same thing when they miss out on LeBron James this off season or when they miss out on Paul George this Maybe. off season, and the Clippers say, "Let's go get John Wall." <laughs> And I could see that because yeah. that's what the Clippers do. You know, that's what rich teams do that feel like they need to win now. They go out and make stupid deals, which uh, may be what the Pistons end up doing with Blake Griffin. Though, like I mentioned, I like what Blake. I, I like the idea of acquiring Blake Griffin for a team like Detroit that has no other chance to get a guy like that. Uh, let's switch back to the Utah Jazz. Yeah, real quick. Uh, real quick, and we're going to take a break here in a minute. We'll, we'll get to some of these on the other side. Uh, you ask a good question. How much of this Jazz recent lull, which is they've lost two of three, and didn't look great last night by any stretch, uh, and certainly didn't look good against Portland for for long stretches either. How much of that's just they're not hitting the shots they were before the break? 
A lot of it. I mean, you look at how uh, this Jazz team was shooting the ball during the 11-game winning streak, and in seven of those games, they shot 45% or, or from three or more. In five of those games, they shot over 50%. I mean, you're just not going to consistently do that, uh, and you shouldn't be surprised when you don't do that. It, that's, you know, that's just how randomness works. That being said, uh, I think these these last two, and I think if you if, if you did shoot 40% from three. You win last night, for example, against Houston. Uh, I, I think it's a lot of it. I, I think also not having Ricky Rubio making shots then uh, allows teams to contract on the rest of the on, of the offense. And even though Rudy Gobert was your leading scorer last night, you would have liked to go there more frequently against a, a Rockets team that was playing really small. But when uh, teams can help off of Rudy Gobert or help off of Jay Crowder, it's it's just you know you can't feed the ball to him because it's it's going to be a turnover and I think we saw that plenty of times last night. You can tweet at us at Andy B Larson at Ben's Hoops on Twitter. We would love to hear from you. You've got questions we want to answer them. When we come back, we are going to talk about this Jazz recent lull. Uh, we're going to talk about Jay Crowder and Rodney Hood, the difference of uh, how they've performed since they've been moved. Is Donovan Mitchell hitting a rookie wall? Is he falling back? Certainly missed some shots last night. We'll talk about that. And then, of course, Ricky Rubio, because he seems to be a key to so much of what the Jazz are doing. When he plays well, the Jazz play well. When he doesn't, the Jazz are in trouble. We're going to talk about all that coming up next. On the other side, it's the Salt City Hoop Show, Utah's number one sports talk, ESPN 700. Salt City Hoop Show, ESPN 700. He's Andy Larson. I'm Ben Anderson, 747, Tuesday night. We're talking the Jazz. We're talking the NBA as we do every Tuesday night here on ESPN 700. Uh, we'd love to take your questions. You want to hear? Uh, you you want to hear our responses, our thoughts on what you have to ask? You can give us a call eight seven seven three five three zero seven hundred, or as I mentioned, tweet at us at Andy B Larson and at Ben's Hoops. Uh, you kind of had a testy exchange with uh, with, <laughs> with Snyder last night. Yeah, uh, I saw your KSL chat today, uh, and okay. someone had asked you. It was a great question. Has Quinn ever jumped on you before? Uh, and the answer yeah. was yes, right? Yeah, I mean, I've had I've had like far scarier experiences with Quinn than that. Yeah, first of I, all, I didn't think he jumped on you last night. That was a very Quinn answer. That's how he answers questions sometimes. Yeah, uh, I think once you get to know him, and I'm not saying I know him, you know him way better than I do. You kind of understand where he's coming from when he does that, right? And I think you know, honestly, we we talked about it afterwards. Let me start from the beginning. So I I asked, I wanted to know at the end of the game. Luke Richard and Bamute scores 15 points in the fourth quarter, eight in the last four minutes. The Rockets went mega small. Rockets went small playing Bamute at center while the Jazz stayed relatively big, I guess, with Rudy Gobert. And I was like, you know, you guys you guys went big. Uh, they went small. And Quinn stopped me, stopped me right there right. and said, hey, Andy, first of all, I'm going to play Rudy Gobert in the game no matter what. And actually kind of stopped the rest of the question, which I wanted to ask basically did – Bamute scoring points is that what you wanted rather than getting the ball out of uh, you know rather than having the ball in Chris Paul and James Harden's hands or was there something that you didn't like about what what happened there defensively um but since I introduced it by the big versus small question he saw it as an opportunity to defend his player and, sure. and rightfully so and and so you know Quinn and I talked about it afterwards um both in the hallway and actually by text afterwards and yeah. and you know we're we're happy now, and and right. it was his him having that opportunity to defend his player, which you know is absolutely the thing he should do. He should prioritize obviously his relationships with his players over his relationship with Andy Larson. Goofball. Little behind the scenes though, you guys are both doing two things. You're uh, you, you don't do this because some guys do this, and it's really it's not lazy. It's your job. Uh, you're trying to get him to say something. Yeah, like you're trying to get a quote because you write for a living, and you need your readers 
to be able to see what Quinn Snyder said. Right. So you need to get him to say a certain thing and explain what kind of your thought was on the situation. And I already know I know you already knew what Quinn was going to say, or at least had an idea of what he was going to say. But you can't just write that in your article. I, I mean, I do, right? But I, I, it's better if Quinn says it's it. It's far better if Quinn says it. So and, you're doing your job. And then there on the flip side, Quinn understands that you're doing your job. And also, I think, understands that you know the answer. And I get that this is getting a little weird. Yeah, but, Quinn understands that you know the answer already and just didn't give you the answer because he knows you already know it. Right. <laughs> so yeah. that's kind of that exchange there. So if people saw it last night, because I remember people were asking, like, who's the voice asking Quinn Snyder those questions, which... How do you not know Andy Larson's voice? You've got a more unique voice in the market, and that's a good <laughs> that's, thing. You want to have a unique voice. Uh, very nasally. Uh, but it's unique. It's good. That's that's all that matters. Uh, people were wondering, like, oh, did that reporter do something wrong? And I didn't think that was the case at all. Yeah, I mean, I no, you did your job I, I don't think it. I don't think it makes me look bad whatsoever. You know, I, I ask a, a really a, a relevant question. And, and anyone who watched the game last night should have recognized that, hey, there's a mismatch here, and the Jazz actually didn't win it last night, even though the Jazz had the better player, Gobert on Mbaa Mute. Right. That's a mismatch you would like to have 48 minutes a game, but truthfully, the Rockets won it over the last couple of minutes of the game with that mismatch. Yeah, and, and you know, I, I think the Jazz probably lose that game in like 90, 95% of scenarios, right? But it clearly didn't work out for the Jazz, and, and asking him about that, is is fair play I think and and it's obviously his absolute right and and to to respond as the way he did which is saying look Rudy Gobert is our best player our defensive identity is Rudy Gobert we're going to keep Rudy Gobert out there on the floor you both did your job the right way and neither of you got what you wanted right which is just sometimes the nature That's of the, the business way it goes. and I think uh you know I think a lot of other coaches it, it's actually really interesting. I was thinking about this earlier, how other coaches would have answered that question, right? You know, Pop, I think, would have said nothing at all. Right. Uh, I, I think you you talked to a, a Terry Stotts, and he would have loved to talk for three minutes about what kind of he was thinking. Yep. You looked at Mike D'Antoni was asked about that, and he said uh, he thought about it from a, a player uh, point of view, which was I've asked Luke Mbamute to play the the small forward position not usually his position either now I'm asking him to play the center it shows just what a versatile guy he is and obviously that's a that's a way that's an easier question to answer when you've won the game but uh you know still it's it's really interesting to kind of think how the different coaches personalities affect what what you're able to write and it also manage it also depends on what roster you have sure. now Luke Richard and Bob Mute what if you had to rank the five players on the floor at that time for the Houston Rockets, what number is he? Probably fourth. Yeah, at best. Yeah, I mean, might be fifth. Joe Johnson, right? Like, yeah, uh, it's right. Him or Joe? And I would probably take Joe late in the game over Luke Richard and Bamute. Rank Rudy Gobert on the Jazz as right. far as the last five guys. He's the best player. He's the best player. So you have to play your number one guy there. Where Dan Tony has this advantage of saying, "Well, I also have Chris Paul and James Harden on the floor, so it doesn't matter who I put out at the five. It could be uh, Tariq Black if I wanted to." You know, could yeah. be Chinani Wanuwaku. I don't know if he still plays for that team or not. But you could put whoever you want out there and still probably feel confident that you're going to get the win. You can try more things. Right. And it, it, exactly right. And I think you look at how Mbamute scored those points, and it was from the Jazz leaving him open to right. deal with the, the threats of Chris Paul and James Harden and, and you know, kind of the way that you thought you were going to lose that game. And instead, you know, the Rockets are a good team, and, and credit to them for finding the open man and, and having that up man 
knock down some shots and, and get to the rim. But there's a reason the Jazz should feel confident in that strategy because that's what the Jazz did against the Clippers with one Luke, Richard, and Bob Mute and won a lot right. of games that way, <laughs> including winning a playoff series by saying, we're going to make sure that J.J. Redick doesn't beat us. We're going to make sure that Austin Rivers and Jamal Crawford don't beat us as those guys who kind of float around the wing mm-hmm. and, and, and can score. We're going to leave Luke, Richard, and Bob Mute open. I guess it's just Luke and Bob Mute now. I think he dropped the Richard. But regardless, uh, it paid off for the Jazz last time. It didn't last night. Yeah, but you'll probably take that gamble because you're right, uh, and you wrote this today in your or last night in your triple team. Jazz picked their poison. They just they picked the right poison and still killed them. Yeah. So what are you gonna do? Uh, exactly. There's nothing you can do, um, and and that's why the Rockets are a good team even without Clint Capella, even without Eric Gordon, even without Ryan Anderson. Uh, give me and give our listeners a breakdown on Quinn Snyder. You know him a little bit better than people do. Uh, and I'm, I'm I, sure there's some things you that are privileged, and I'm not yeah. asking you to violate that. But I, I do think people see that from Quinn Snyder and think it's kind of brash. I, I've never gotten that. I, no, I've never had an interaction with him like that. But I've never. But he does that because he likes you. Yeah, I'll tell you. He what. doesn't like me. <laughs> I, I I don't think he doesn't like. You, I don't think anyway. he knows who I am. So that's fine. Uh, I I I think he. I'll I'll tell you what I I think I'm more encouraged by these sorts of events, even though this this kind of stresses him out because I I think. So frequently we see Quinn as like this uh, basketball robot of just being, making the right decision constantly, always thinking of things mathematically, you know, how this button will affect all of these other players and, and, and everything else. I think him having that frustration last night uh, was encouraging for kind of the, the level of mental toughness that this Jazz team needs to show. Um, as far as Quinn Snyder himself, you know, honestly, he's, very reluctant to answer personal questions, um, so it's it's hard for me to to really know what he is. I mean, obviously, I've talked with him off the record and and you know texted and everything else, but it's um, it by all accounts and and in my dealings with him too, he does just seem like that basketball robot ninety five percent of the time, uh, and, and it it's it's really really encouraging for the future of the Jazz because there's no one who is smarter or better at at leading a team. And yet also, uh, you, you almost wish you would take a break sometimes. <laughs> uh, here's what I would say, and I actually think this is good for a coach. Because the guys who seem to get themselves in, the, in trouble are the guys who are not like this with one exception. And you'll know who that exception is. For the most part, you want the guy to be what you see is what you get. What Quinn Snyder is, what you see, is exactly who he is. Yeah, He's not this dual personality guy. I don't think he's no. this guy who when he leaves, he's some bizarre stranger or wants to be a superstar somewhere else. He doesn't, he's not that guy. The only guy who I think is like that, that is successful is Greg Popovich. Cause there's no way Greg Popovich is that guy when he leaves. No, Greg Popovich by all accounts, he's not warm, has friends, does fun things, enjoys his life, but he acts like he never does that in the NBA. The other guys though, who pretend like they're one thing on the court and then are totally something else on the, on the floor are Mark Jackson. And right. you don't want Mark Jackson as your head coach, which is why after having a successful run with the Golden State Warriors, he didn't get rehired. Right. So you've got to understand that. You want the guy that what you see is what you get. Jerry Sloan, what you see is what you get. Now, he was probably a little nicer than people thought, but I actually thought if you knew Jerry, and that's why Jazz fans loved him here locally, you kind of realize, oh, there's like a lovable side to that guy, even though he's a, he feels like a bit of a grizzly bear. And I think Quinn's relationship with his players is based on that kind of honesty, based on that I'll tell you how it is kind of thing, which it, he excels at. Great what-ifs in Jazz history. Coming up next, the Salt City Hoop Show, Utah's number one sports talk, ESPN 700. Step inside, walk this way, you and me, babe. The home of the best Utah Jazz and NBA breakdown is right here. This is Salt City Hoops on Utah's number one sports talk, ESPN 700. 
Salt City Hoop Show, ESPN 700. He's Andy Larson. I'm Ben Anderson. Andy's the beat writer for the Utah Jazz at KSL.com. I'm a contributor at KSL.com. You can tweet at Andy, at Andy B. Larson. Tweet at me, at Ben's Hoops. You've got questions. we got another hour. We would love to answer them for you. Talking to Utah Jazz and the NBA. Uh, earlier in the show, we talked about uh, kind of this last quarter of the season for the Utah Jazz. I still think they should be a playoff team. I think that should be the expectation. I actually think it would be now a disappointment if they don't get there uh, with how they closed that last break before the All-Star break. But uh, they're going to have to win some games. I mean, they're going to have to play well. They're not going to fall backwards into the playoffs. Yeah, look, I I think if you get 46, 47 wins and don't make the playoffs, you just you kind of throw up your hands and say, look, this was a historically tough West, and, and that's just, you know, that's unfortunate. If you don't get there, though, if you only get 43, 44, 45, then there are going to be a lot of wins that you left on the table, and that's that's where you start you know, thinking what if, which is actually perfect for this this segment. Uh, and one of the things you do, I mean, if you're a, one of the things a lot of Jazz fans want is uh, to see a Rookie of the Year award go to Donovan Mitchell. Jazz have to make the playoffs if he wants to win it. Agreed. Uh, if if Ben Simmons and the, the 76ers make the playoffs, which they absolutely should, they're in the seventh seed right now, and I know they're only, I mean, they're five games up right now in the Pistons. So the yeah. odds of them losing that over 20 games is a real stretch. Especially uh, with how, honestly, talented that team is. Right. They should absolutely make the playoffs. Uh, Jazz obviously have a lot of work to do. Uh, not a lot of work, but there's still a couple of games out. They're two and a half games out of the eighth seed right now. They're going to have to jump some teams if they want to get there. Uh, we did talk about great what-ifs. We want to talk about great what-ifs in jazz history because uh, we had a fan or a listener tweet in and ask and say, hey, what are what are some of the trade rumors you have heard or deals the jazz almost made that uh, are kind of some of the bigger what-ifs in jazz history? Yeah, uh, that was Bud at Tom Bag Jr. who asked that during my jazz chat today, and it really did get me thinking about what the what the biggest almost trades were or, or biggest trades that could have been uh, that the Jazz could have discussed or could have completed but didn't for whatever reason. And, you know, I think a lot of these that we hear about are um, near stages of completion. Some of them aren't, um, but I, I just think it's it's so interesting. The, the two that I brought up on Twitter that I think I want to talk about first, and then honestly going back through Jazz history, I think there are some good ones to talk about too. Uh, first of all, in the 2013 NBA draft, uh, the Jazz traded the number 14 and number 21 pick for Trey Burke, and then ultimately traded their second round pick and some cash for the pick that was number 27 and, and Rudy Gobert. Right. Um, but the the thinking was apparently, and I, I've been told this by, by someone in the Jazz organization, but uh, I, I almost don't know how much to, to believe it, is if that the Jazz had not made that trade, they would have selected Giannis Antetokounmpo at number 14 and selected Rudy Gobert at number 21 and come away with the two best players in that draft, uh, despite drafting at 14 and 21. I, that feels so unreal to me, but then also the what if, if you have both Giannis and right. Rudy Gobert, are, is, is a, pretty, it's a pretty crazy scenario, right? Uh, I'm trying to go back and remember the Giannis. I mean, I remember, I remember the Giannis story. I remember watching the Giannis videos. Uh, he was the rawest, freakiest athlete you'd ever seen. Draft Express had interviews with him where he looked like the most timid kid you'd ever met. Uh, He still looks that way sometimes when you talk to him, though obviously you've seen him play. He's an animal when he's on the floor. Uh, I mean, I've got SB Nation pulled up here. 
They've got his name spelled Giannis Adetokounmpo. Mm-hmm. I mean, they've just they've got his name right. butchered. Now everyone butchers his name. But this is 2013. This is the year he was drafted, and they wrote this on June 5th, 2013. So 20 days before the draft. No one could agree on yeah how to how to say how to pronounce or even how to spell his name. There were questions about his age, if mm-hmm. I believe. There were questions about the skill set. There were questions about the talent level he was playing against. How many teams did he actually work out for? That's what I'm trying to figure out here. The only team I'm seeing that had a workout with him is the Milwaukee Bucks. I'm seeing a Bucks draft workout on the 20th, uh, or June 20th, uh, but this says 2017, so maybe that was before that. But when I'm looking back at these, I'm not seeing draft workouts that he was able to do. So I don't honestly remember if he came to the U.S. and actually worked out with anybody, or if you had had to have been in one of those small arenas when he was playing against teams to ever have seen him live or been able to talk to him. He may have not done the draft cycle at all. Which yeah, I, makes drafting a guy like that with a lottery pick just about impossible, even in what was billed as one of the worst drafts of all time going into it. Right, and and so, I, I mean, the Jazz have drafted guys who they haven't worked out before. I mean, Dante Exum, for Trey example. Burke. Trey Burke. Yeah, great point. Right. Uh, so, I, you know, I don't know that that was the... Uh, that was the biggest issue, I think. Really, but that was it was issue that for the every Jazz, team. right? I, I think it was that the Jazz wanted a point guard, right? And Ty Corbin wanted right. a point guard, and uh, I, that's why, I honestly, ultimately believe that it's it's hard for me to believe that they would have gone with Giannis at fourteen because Dennis Schroeder was there at fourteen, or Shane Larkin was there at fourteen, guys who I think they they needed a point guard so badly that I think it would have been hard not to go for for those guys, even if you're even if Minnesota wasn't willing to trade down, uh, and. If you remember the name, the Jazz were really closely tied to on uh, that draft, and who the reason I think the Jazz ended up trading their pick because they knew he wasn't going to be there was that Kelly Olynyk wasn't going to be right. on the board when the Jazz got to 14. Now I don't think anyone expected Giannis to be this type of player, but the Jazz wanted that big guy that would stretch the floor. Truthfully, Giannis isn't even a big guy who stretches the floor now. Now he can because he's so long and he can put the ball on the floor and he can start at the perimeter, but he's not this dead eye three point shooter. Right. And that's what kind of what the Jazz were set on getting at that point. At least that was the thought. And Kelly Olynyk was the player who came in and had the secret workout for the Jazz that apparently he blew everyone away with his shooting. And the Jazz were dead set on dead set on getting uh, a guy in Kelly Olynyk. Yeah, and, and yet and then the Jazz found out that yeah he would be selected number thirteen and. Remember, Dennis Lindsay gave all this credit to Kevin O'Connor about that Kelly Olynyk would be off the board, and so the Jazz felt comfortable trading 14 and 21 up for number nine and, and getting Trey Burke. Um, and, you know, obviously Trey Burke's had a nice last two weeks, but has had a really disappointing NBA career. And also remember, Trey Burke, on a lot of drafts, day of, was kind of the number four ranked, number five ranked right. prospect in that draft. I mean, a lot of people thought I, that was the best point guard. You had to go out and get him. I think he was, there was, to me, there was that top six that was pretty clear. And then every, I think everyone was surprised that Nerlens Noel fell to six. Right. But everyone thought he, there was, you know, Anthony Bennett should be a, a top six pick. Uh, Depot, <laughs> certainly. Right. I mean, it's right. crazy. But, That's what's, Alex Len was yeah. a consensus top six pick in that draft. And top then, five. Like, it went five, right? It was the a horrible pick. Ben ba- McLemore, Trey Burke, CJ McCollum uh, conversation. Michael Carter Williams was was real. I thought. Right. I, I I thought Trey Burke. I think everyone. I, I again, this is so four years ago, and so it's hard for me to like remember exactly. But I I I thought everyone pretty much agreed that Trey Burke had a better future than Michael Carter Williams. Yep. Uh, was in a different class, and heck, that that might actually be true still even now. Um, but then you know, I, I CJ McCollum. Versus Trey Burke, I don't know that anyone. It was such a weird conversation because CJ was coming out of Lehigh and was this unknown kid. 
Um, and Trey Burke had done it at the biggest level and made a championship game and made yeah. clutch plays and did all the things you kind of think you want your point guard to do. Right. I mean, there are the, the repeated Chris Paul comparisons. Right. And uh, I, I think everyone expected him to be at least a, a safe pick, if not a, a superstar level pick. And, and maybe that shows the danger of drafting a safe pick is that sometimes that guy just isn't actually an NBA player. But to stick with the segment, I think that's yes. the most pertinent current what if. If it was true, the Jazz had gone with Giannis at 14, and what, they had 23, is that what you said? 21. 21, and drafted Rudy Gobert there, which he didn't go till 27. They easily would have gotten him. Where would the Jazz be right now? And it's hard to imagine the Jazz wouldn't be a top four they seed in the West. Better. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so, great. You know, And if you had those two, maybe Gordon sticks around. So those are all your what-ifs. The other big what-if right now is probably what if Gordon stuck around. Sure. That's, that's an obvious one, and, and I think you say, well, the Jazz are in the playoffs and may even be the three seed, right? I mean, right. Are the Jazz five wins better with a healthy Gordon Hayward? I mean, so that's the other question. Does Gordon Hayward break his leg if he's on the Jazz? Maybe, you know, Joe Ingles doesn't throw him that hospital ball that, right. that Kyrie Irving did. Right. But, uh, who, who knows, right? Uh, I, I think clearly uh, you should uh, – clearly Gordon Hayward would have helped this team and made them a playoff team uh, this year. You can – you do, but maybe Donovan Mitchell doesn't get the the experience that he's gotten this year as a result. Uh, almost no, almost no doubt he wouldn't. But even if you had Donovan Mitchell at seventy five percent of what he is now and a hundred percent of Gordon Hayward, you would very much like this basketball team and think they had a bright future. Uh, what if the Jazz had drafted? This is, these are Andy's submissions. What if the Jazz had drafted uh, Booker, Devin Booker, in Phoenix out of Kentucky over Trey Lyles, also out of Kentucky, and one pick apart from one another? Yeah, this is the obvious one, and, and honestly, this was the pick I think most Jazz fans wanted was Devin Booker over Trey Lyles, and and uh, Dennis Lindsay kind of had to sell Jazz fans on, on proprioception and everything else with Trey Lyles, and Trey Lyles is having a nice season in Denver right now, so I, I don't think you can say it's a, a busted pick, and, and maybe you can't make that move for Donovan Mitchell without Trey Lyles, but... You absolutely cannot. We know you can't. Because you have Devin Booker, Although, you can't trade Devin Booker. But yeah, you could trade Devin Booker for Donovan Mitchell, right? You wouldn't. You, you wouldn't do it. You right. can't trade Devin Booker. He's a, one of those guys, and he, that's the weird thing about Devin Booker. I don't know if he can win games. As much right. as what he does is it's exciting, and he scored seventy in a game, and not many players can do that, even when you force feed them the ball. Yeah, that takes a real skill set. I don't know if he can win you games. Right, and that's a major question. And if he can't win you games, it doesn't matter if he can score eighty points in a game. You've got to be able to win. That's the only. That's the only stat that ultimately matters is whether you can win or not. And I don't know if he can. But I don't know if Trey Lyles could either. That's that was going to be my counter. Is I Trey very Lyles... much know Donovan Mitchell can win you games because yeah. I've seen him do it. Right, more games than I've seen Devin Booker win. Yeah, I, I agree with that. And I think you, at least for me, I'm more excited about Donovan Mitchell's potential than Devin Booker's potential, even though they are actually about the same age. Right. I, I just think Donovan Mitchell has, in his first year and has has maybe more of a tool set. Uh, with his body size and things like that to be a better player. And also, he's just been cultured the right way. Which, sure. and I don't mean that, it's not talking about I, Devin Booker's parents. I mean, he went to Phoenix and they are just a nightmare of, a, of an organization. Sure. Bad coaches. Earl Watson was not a great coach. They chased out Jeff Hornacek, who was a better coach than what they have currently in Jay Triano. You know, they, they've done so many things wrong that I wonder if you can get Devin Booker back. So then is Devin Booker a winning player in Utah, though? Right, that's the thing. He's a better player in Utah than he is. He's less statistically amazing in Utah than he is in Phoenix and probably knows how to win you more games. But I still don't know if he's Donovan Mitchell because Donovan Mitchell has this special it quality that I'm not sure everyone has. And I mean that his charisma, his how he was raised, things that you can't control. 
you know, that you hope every player had the same thing of, but they, they can't. And the Jazz couldn't have influenced that by, just by drafting him. That is 20 years in the making because of his parents, because of where he went to college and how he was coached and all those things. Yes. Uh, so that's the what if and I would say this is a better what if for the Jazz what did happen versus what if they had done something differently yeah and I I would say that before the trade for Donovan Mitchell before Donovan Mitchell exploded I would say the Jazz messed that one up but they they got lucky in how it turned out let's Uh, be honest they did right correct Denver called and was willing to trade them the the 13th pick that turned into Donovan Mitchell for Trey Lyles and number 24 is a, a fortuitous thing uh, great what-ifs in jazz history. This might be the most famous one for a lot of jazz fans. Though you and I were very privileged to get a very interesting conversation that I don't know anyone knows about. So we're going to talk about that coming up in five minutes. We're not going anywhere. We're going to walk through some of these what-ifs. But the the Ronnie Cycli trade, I think there's a lot of fans right now, uh, jazz fans driving around listening, saying, I wonder if they're going to mention Ronnie Cycli. Yeah. And the jazz had traded for Ronnie Cycli, finally getting the big man to go alongside Carl Malone to relieve him of the double teams, relieve him of that pressure that he just never got the advantage of. Uh, and then Ronnie Cycli now is saying that the Jazz nixed the trade uh, or has said that uh, since he is retired. But at the time, it was very clear that Ronnie Cycli said he's not going to leave Miami for Utah. Right. And so uh, and in the season before, he had averaged 17 points and 9.5 rebounds per game. He was a very and, good starting center. Yeah. And in Orlando, um, and, and actually was did end up getting traded in that 1997-1998 season. Um for a first-round pick that became Matt Harpring, fun fact. Oh, interesting. But, uh, and, and actually didn't do much with the New Jersey Nets after he was traded. I believe he got hurt. So he was still. in Orlando at that point, not Miami. I apologize. Yes. Um, similar Florida sure. warmth. And where he spent the beginning of his career. Yeah. Uh, I, I think, I don't know that it, it would have made a difference, clearly. It would have made a difference. Uh, the Rockets are maybe, uh, sorry, the Chicago Bulls. I don't right. know why I'm thinking. The, the Rockets, I think you win with or without Ronnie Seckley. Uh, certainly against the Lakers where you sweep them, right. you win. It's only It only matters if it changes the outcome against the Bulls. Right. And it, it might. It might have. It's that it, he, right. he was that big of a difference maker. Over what Greg Ostertag brought you, Ronnie Seckley was significantly better. And they were close. And they were already close. Right. They were... Maybe the greatest sequence, the most clutch sequence in NBA history of getting the steal on Carl Malone and hitting the shot on the other end. That was the difference in the Jazz maybe winning that series because you don't want to play a game seven in Utah on the road. Right. If you're the Bulls. Uh, Ronnie Cycli, the most painful and biggest what if in Jazz history. Maybe. I, I like it. It's such a thing. It, you know, th- it was so important because it was just the Jazz were one player away from winning the finals there. But if you, you look at like. The, the Gail Goodrich trade, right? Where the Jazz traded Gail Goodrich to the Lake or from the Lakers, giving them a future first round pick, which became the number first the, the number, number one, one first round pick. pick. And, and who uh, did that trade into? Magic Johnson. Oh, so like him? if you look at if the Jazz would have had Magic Johnson for fifteen years, yep. what kind of franchise do they become? Maybe you're talking about not just one title, but two, three, four, you know, whatever Magic Johnson leads you to. Uh, but what, what the owners of the Jazz would tell you is that there's no Utah Jazz if you don't trade Gail Goodrich. Uh, the same trade with for Gail Goodrich? Right, because those were money trades, I believe, in the long run. Maybe the but Gail Goodrich Gail Goodrich wasn't because it was a signing, really. And okay. Because back in that day, you when had to you give signed a player, you, you gave up compensation to that team for that player, which came in the, the form of a, a first-round pick. Um so that was that was a and he was also in New Orleans at that point. Right, they that was, needed that was a New some, Orleans Jazz. They needed some excitement because I I I mean I'm gonna mix up my uh, my years here, but was Pistol Pete still? I can go back and look at this. 
I apologize for doing this on the air. But so, we go back and look at the 96, 90, or what is this? What year is yeah, this? 76, 77. Yeah, Pistol Pete was still on the Jazz, but you know was in and out of the lineup. And so you had a team that clearly needed kind of a second guy, yep. maybe a more reliable guy. And, and back then, Gail Goodrich was that guy. Right. It's just that he was also 33 years old <laughs> and, and not right it, it, exactly and uh, and so to sign him for the short term was short to get to the Lakers yeah very short very short sighted because it could have eventually turned into uh, Magic Johnson uh, and, and then the other one uh, that we could talk about that I mentioned is Dominique Wilkins but the Jazz could have had Dominique Wilkins alongside Carl Malone and John Stockton right. uh, now they traded it to get the money. Because they didn't think they could have kept the Jazz in Utah had they not had him, and Dominique Wilkins did not want to come to the Jazz, and that was clear before the draft. Yeah. So the Jazz had to move him. But it would be fun to watch the human highlight reel alongside Carl Malone and John Stockton, giving them that super small forward that they would have won a championship with. That one to me is is not even a bad decision because you had because the choice was was not a choice. Right. It was death or, die, or yeah, or right, Davis. die or 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 live, and especially given the. The fact that Dominique did not want to sign with the Utah Jazz, even if he would have been drafted, there wasn't a, a rookie scale there or you know anything. You you had to kind of agree with the player had to agree with where he was selected, and uh, that he didn't want to go to Utah meant that the Jazz could draft him and then kind of auction him off him off to the best team uh, that that he wanted to go to that was going to be giving the most money back to the Jazz, and that's exactly what they did, and and you know ended up staying in Utah, and for that we're we're thankful. Uh, other great what ifs, uh, kind of in the same Ronnie Cycli vein. What if the Jazz had been able to complete their trade for Derek Harper? Derek Harper uh, famously said, "You go play in Utah." When right. he was traded here, uh, and he was a good player. Uh, Derek Harper was a very solid player. Clearly, did not want to be in Utah. I'd have to go back and look at what year it was. He was actually going to get traded here, uh, and would have been a nice guard along for the Jazz. But truthfully, Derek Harper was a point guard, and the Jazz had John Stockton already. So right. I think we more look at this as, hey, this was bad because it made Utah look bad, not necessarily because the Jazz lost a lot of games by not acquiring Derek Harper. Agreed. You know, would have been like a a nice third guard, um, but then kind of Shandon Anderson comes in and fills those roles during the final, fills that role during the finals years anyway. Uh, maybe you make say the '95 playoff push better, which actually we're going to be talking about in just a second. Uh, l- Do we have time yet? Let's throw out two more. Two okay. quick ones that I added that the Jazz fans want to talk about a lot. Had the Jazz drafted Tony Parker over Raul Lopez? This might be a better what if for Tony yeah. Parker than it is for the Jazz. Why is you say Tony that? Parker a Hall of Famer if he comes and plays in Utah? Ooh. It's hard to argue. He's, it's hard he's to argue, a yes. great player. Tony Parker's a great player. I think Tim Duncan's one of the four greatest players of all time. Yeah. And Tim Duncan ma- magically has all these Hall of Famers around him. Okay, maybe Tim Duncan's so good that all these guys turn into Hall of Famers around him. Now, was drafting Mono Ginobili with the 60th pick ridiculously great? Ridiculously great. San Antonio being way progressive and way ahead of the game, knowing to look at international players and scout them better than everyone else was. Yes. Same with Tony Parker. But Tony Parker was there with the Jazz and had been talked about. The Jazz just said, hey, we don't want to pay whatever the extra money was to get Tony Parker over, or they were going to have to wait a year to bring him over. So they went with Raul Lopez instead. Yeah, and I think they liked Howell Lopez as, as a prospect. Yeah. Howell, Raul, yeah, whatever. Right. Uh, Neto they they look the same. They play yeah. the same. It's so bizarre. Uh, the good news is apparently Raul Lopez was actually working with Ricky Rubio um, in some sort of training since huh. before this 11-game winning streak. And 
uh, Rubio credited some of his improved play with that with those workouts, which is kind of interesting. I don't know if Tony Parker would have been a Hall of Famer in Utah. He would have been better than Raul Lopez. I, I think he still may have been just because of that those international contributions to the game, right? Which the right. Basketball Hall of Fame, it's not the NBA Hall of Fame, it's the Basketball Hall of Fame, right. cares about. Um, and so maybe you get a, a Dirk Light scenario um, where he's clearly like the second or third best international player yep. ever, and, and you have to... Put him in. Him. Or, yeah. Um, but, uh, yeah, agreed that playing with, with Tim Duncan was a... <laughs> was a boost. <laughs> was a good thing for, for Tony all Parker's career. And, and it became so much better after his first two seasons um, because he was playing next to those guys. Uh, and then what if Karolinko never blows out his knee? And actually, this is another one where maybe the Jazz are better off with Karolinko blowing out his knee. As weird hmm. as that sounds. So, Karolinko goes down, gets hurt. Jazz end up, because of that, being a horrible team... They draft Darren Get Williams, Darren. and then you've got Darren, you've got Memo, sure. you've got Carlos Boozer. Okay. And truthfully, Darren Williams in his prime was a better player than Kirilenko. Kirilenko, yeah. that 3 4 year, was very good and was looking like he had that unicorn status that we talk about now that nobody knew was a thing back then. Uh, and I'm not sure if the Jazz would have played him as progressively as you would now with a guy like that. But you got Darren, who translated to wins in a different way than Kirilenko did. In a less intelligent era of basketball, Darren Williams was a better player. Agreed. Today, maybe Karolinko would have been the better player in a smarter era. But yeah. at that time, it got you Darren Williams, and you made a Western Conference Finals because of it. All right, this is a crazy hypothetical. Not a hypothetical. Apparently, this almost happened. And we got this from a guy who was close to the Jazz at that time. Mm-hmm. The Utah Jazz, and I'm not, I'm trying to, I don't know if I know exactly what the timeline is here, but I'm looking at the transactions in Sam Perkins' career. So I, I go to basketball reference here. Sure. Sam Perkins was traded by the Lakers to the Seattle Supersonics in 1993. He then signed with the Indiana Pacers in 1999. So I'm not sure when he actually became available as a free agent, but apparently as a player, the Jazz almost had a done deal with to acquire to get him in a Utah Jazz uniform to be the big man to stretch the floor alongside Carl Malone. That deal was almost done, and the Jazz did not want to pay him the $3 million it would cost him to come in and be your starting center. The Jazz were not willing to, to give him that $3 million and thought they'd go with what they had because they thought their championship window was open longer than it was. Which is bad. It's very bad. Because like, Sam uh, Perkins was a great basketball player. $3 million was a lot more than, and, and this was the 31-year-old Sam Perkins, 30, 31. We assume this of, is at 19, in uh, 1990. I 1990, 1991, 92, okay. somewhere in there. So it had to be early in that in that period, correct? Right. The Jazz thought they were going to be able to sign Sam Perkins, who at the time was averaging 14, 15, 16 points a game, eight rebounds, was starting to shoot the three a little bit. He did it a lot more later in his career, but was a very good big guy. And apparently the Jazz could have had him, and he wanted to come to Utah to play alongside Carl Malone, which a lot of guys, as we mentioned with Ronnie Cycli and Derek Harper, didn't want to do. Sam Perkins, though, was almost a jazz man, and the Jazz couldn't get the deal done because they didn't want to pay him what they thought was too much at the time. It's a bummer. Like, I mean, what, right. what else do you the, say? Like, I, I think fans still look at these small market versus large market differences, uh, and, and they are very real. But you look at kind of these stories from, from 25, 30 years ago, and it just was a, a, just a night and day difference between what the Utah Jazz were capable of and the Los Angeles Lakers were capable of. And, and that's, you know, in terms of just paying a player $3 million, which today, you know, you give Howell Neto that, you give Royce O'Neal that, and guys you, you haven't even heard of $3 million, uh, 
now you know you can't sign Sam Perkins to a three million dollar right. deal. Uh, and at that point, I'm going to go back and look at Sam Perkins' contracts here at Basketball Reference as well. He signed a deal very similar to that with the Seattle SuperSonics in 1993-94. He signed for 3.5 million dollars. Okay, so I'm guessing that was pretty similar to where the the point was that the Jazz were going to have the opportunity to acquire him, right? Uh, and didn't want to shell out that $3.5 million. Again, he was closer to the end of his career, but what happened with Sam Perkins and the Seattle Supersonics? He signed there, and they went to the championship. They also lost to the Bulls, but I don't sure. think that team was as good as this Utah Jazz team. And maybe that team with Sam Perkins uh, in the mid-'90s has that opportunity, maybe not to beat the Bulls, but maybe they beat those Houston Rockets teams uh, in 94, 95, and 95, 96 and have a chance to win a championship there, or 93, 94, 94, 95. Yeah, when, uh, Jordan was retired. I mean, to me, Sam Perkins isn't the you know he's he's at like the Rony Sakely level of clearly a good player for his time. wasn't a clear you know wasn't going to make an All Star game or anything like that. Uh, but clearly, given the Jazz's lack of depth during the '90s, would have really helped um, you know them against really in in from 1991 to 1996 get to the Western Conference Finals or get to the NBA Finals and then. Uh, in 97 and 98, actually against the Chicago Bulls and, and maybe winning those series. I will say this. The guy we talked to was very confident that that would have been a difference maker for yeah. the Jazz winning a championship. And if I remember correctly, he mentioned the Jazz being able to get past Houston and winning the championship over the Bulls uh, when they won it. But maybe that was, yeah, that was early. That was when they did it. Right. They beat uh, the Magic and they beat the Bulls. I, or I believe in the Knicks were the two teams that the, uh, that the Rockets won mm-hmm. when they won their championships. So... That's one of the great what-ifs as well that I don't think as many people knew about when it comes to Ronnie Cycli as well. When we come back, we're going to answer some more questions. We've got some questions coming in, including another what-if, and we'll talk about the Jazz in the second half of the season, what they can do over these last 20 games. He's Andy Larson. I'm Ben Anderson. This is the Salt City Hoop Show, Utah's number one sports talk, ESPN 700. You are listening to Salt City Hoops on Utah's number one sports talk, ESPN 700. Salt City Hoop Show, ESPN 700, 832. He's Andy Larson. I'm Ben Anderson. Andy's the beat writer for the Utah Jazz at KSL.com. I'm a, a contributor at KSL.com. You can find us on Twitter at Andy B. Larson and at Ben's Hoops. If you want to tweet at us, we would love to hear from you. Always like to take your questions or your thoughts on the Utah Jazz. Uh, 365 Hoops, a.k.a. J Money, on Twitter says, Did you do the what if the Jazz drafted Chris Paul instead of Darren Williams? Forgive me if you did. I enjoyed the conversation midway through. We did not, and uh, that's, a, that's a great one. Yeah. Because uh, Chris Paul's top batter. 30 <laughs> player of all time. Right. You know, uh, one of the... It, it's gonna, He needs to win playoff games. Yeah. At some point when you're so good and your numbers start to match everyone else's, it does come down to wins and losses. And I know mm-hmm. people want to fight against rings. Rings matter. Playoff success matters, and if he never gets out of the second round of the playoffs, which he should this year, it's a knock on him. And there was a question of why did his teams not ever play better than that, especially as a floor general and as a leader. Now, some of that's not fair. Some of it is fair, I think. Uh, He's got to win these games, but he is a better player than Darren Williams. Right, and and so you kind of wonder... A, does Darren Williams, or sorry, does Chris Paul stay in Utah longer than Darren Williams did? Does Chris Paul stay in New Orleans longer than than he did? Uh, if he's if he's in Utah, right? And then B, you know, does that Western Conference Finals team is it better than in you know? Does it get to the NBA Finals? Does it beat that San Antonio Spurs team? I don't really think so. They don't beat the Spurs. Uh, certainly, you know, Chris Paul gets to a Conference Finals team. 
sooner. <laughs> right. you know, I, I don't think that you can argue that that team wouldn't have made it with Chris Paul instead of Darren Williams, right? Like, uh, Chris Paul would have done, would have been able to beat the Warriors in the second round. Chris you know? Paul's a Hall of Famer now. He would have been a Hall of Famer had the Jazz drafted him as well. He's that good of a player. He would. Yeah, he's, he's a yeah. superstar no matter where he goes. I don't know if the Jazz look drastically different with Chris Paul. Maybe if he sticks around longer, but even then, the Jazz have to go out and draft the right players to to put around him. Yeah, you know, agreed. And uh, you know, I, I'm curious how the Carlos Boozer, Chris Paul, Memo Kerr partnership right. would work. But honestly, I don't see why it wouldn't. And right. I, I, you know, I Darren think honestly, was, it looks ninety percent similar. If, if, right, Darren was probably harder to play with than Chris Paul would be. Yeah, but Chris Paul's hard on his guys too, right? And you know? uh, yeah, I think Darren was harder earlier in his career than Chris. You know, Chris Paul kind of yep. gained that orneriness later. Um, and you know, maybe the only series you can point to is the the six game loss against the Los Angeles Lakers, where the Jazz, the Kyle Korver's last year in a Jazz uniform, yep. where the Jazz had the best offense in the league, but never didn't get past the the first year of the Pau Gasol Lakers, right? Uh, Maybe with Chris Paul instead of Darren Williams, the Jazz have that extra whatever it is. They you win was it game five that went to overtime? I think so. Uh, maybe you win game five, and, and then I believe you, it was kind of a sketchy officiated game too. The sure. Jazz fans were up in arms. About, I, now you're up in arms about every yes. single playoff game when it comes every to officiating. I'm, a, yeah, I'm up in arms. Period. I was I was screaming for sure, but uh, yeah, it's it's one of those things that maybe Chris Paul gives you that extra whatever. And even then, you got to remember, Pau Gasol at that time was. I mean, surefire Hall of Famer already at that point, or at least yeah. was close to that, uh, and was one of the best power forwards in the NBA. If not, by some people's thoughts, the best power forward or big man in the NBA. The only reason he wasn't, I, I should say power forward, because Tim Duncan was playing center at that point. The only reason he wouldn't have been, or at least wasn't in that conversation, is because he'd never won a playoff game when he was in Memphis until mm -hmm. he got traded to Los Angeles. But they still had Kobe, so they still had the best player on the floor. And there would have been an argument at the time, I think, of who was the better player, Pau Gasol and Chris Paul. So maybe the Lakers still would have had the two best players on the floor at that point. Jazz would have then gone Chris Paul, maybe Carlos Boozer, but was Carlos Boozer better than Lamar Odom at that point no, on that I, team? Maybe, or Andrew Bynum? Maybe not. Yeah, so. it's, but I mean, still that series was close because I thought the Jazz, you know, honestly were better coached. And uh, I think having Kyle Korver and having Andre Karolenko defend, uh, Kobe Bryant was a, as, was a unique challenge for Kobe. Um, it, it was it was a close series. I think that that was an interesting series that it doesn't get a ton of credit, um, you know, kind of in hindsight. Uh, Alex on Twitter tweets at us, the Kyrie rumor last summer that you and I, it broke while you and I were doing the yeah. show, and we thought, no way, not a chance, and then it turns out the Cavs wanted George Hill and <laughs> yeah. found a way to get George Hill, and maybe it was realistic because the, the Cavs did end up trading Kyrie Irving. The Jazz didn't have a trade package that could have gotten you any cl anywhere close, I don't think, to what I feel I the Cavs have, got for Kyrie yeah. Irving. And clearly, uh, you know, otherwise the Jazz would have gotten it done. You know, I, I think you look at a George Hill sign and trade plus 24, plus 30, plus, you know, why Rodney don't you, plus Rodney Hood, yeah. sure, or you know, whatever you can give up. Um, that's what the Jazz could have offered. And I think the the but, Cavs, and rightfully so, probably would have said no to that. I, I you know, I, 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 I think the Jazz. I was surprised to learn that the Jazz really did inquire, and it sounds like that you know that wasn't just a rumor, but it does sound like they were number two behind, and maybe even number three behind what the Phoenix Suns and Denver Nuggets were offering. Uh, and then what what gets tied in with that? What happens if you trade the number twenty four pick? You don't get Donovan. You don't Mitchell. get Donovan Mitchell. Kyrie Irving's a better player than Donovan Mitchell. Yeah, right now. Yeah. So right, I mean, exactly. Who knows what he looks like in three years? You know. 
and the Jazz timeline, who knows what it looks like. Uh, I would also, oh, another great uh, what if, and I've heard this reported a lot. I believe my sources have told me about it. Speaking of number two best offer, Jazz had the number two best offer for James Harden. Yeah. To the Oklahoma City Thunder, which was going to be Paul Millsap and draft picks. And they went with Jeremy Lamb in draft picks. And the draft picks they got were better than the draft picks the Jazz right. could offer, they, which was the— They gave up a worse player but got better draft picks, and they got Steven Adams, I believe they ended up getting in that. Maybe I'm wrong. No, they got—is uh, it Cole Aldrich? <laughs> I think it was—was was it the pick that became Steven Adams? I, we should look this up. We can look that up. But the Jazz were offering Paul Millsap and pieces to go out and get James Harden, uh, and James Harden would have fit— here great as well and as an MVP candidate it's probably going to win the MVP this year yeah. and would have been just as good here in Utah. Yeah, and it, it seems like, you know, it's one of those things where the Jazz never seemed like they were bad enough to have the pick that you could trade for that guy. So the the Harden trade was in it was indeed Steven Adams. So uh they traded with him with Cole Aldrich, Jaquan Cook and Lazar Hayward to the Houston Rockets for Jeremy Lamb, Kevin Martin, a 2013 first-round pick that became Steven Adams, a second-round pick that became Alex Abrinas, and a 2014 first-round pick that became Mitch McGarry. Mitch McGarry's terrible. Not in the NBA anymore. No. Steven uh, Adams, great. I mean, Steven, Steven Adams, Adams is very is good. He's the, a starting center. He's a top-10 center in the NBA. He's really good. Yeah, I, I love Steven Adams. Yeah, so do I. Uh, his little Q&A he did, where and he was talking to Gordon Ramsay from Hell's Kitchen. Yeah. It was hilarious. <laughs> uh, they had him mic'd up the other night, talking, just showing how he runs through a defense when they are playing against the Golden State Warriors. He's funny. He's nice. He's right. You know, he knows exactly what he's talking about on the defensive side of the ball. Yeah. Obviously, he's a professional basketball player. He should know that. Not all of them do, but he does. Right. Uh, he's very good. The Rockets won that trade about as much as you can win any <laughs> trade. Yeah. About as much as you can win any single trade, the Rockets won that. And you want to talk what ifs. The way Oklahoma City Oof. bungled that whole situation that they had which was as good a series of draft picks as any team has ever had and will ever have. Yeah. And, and they you, went Kevin Durant, Russell Westbrook, James Harden, and I'm not sure exactly what the order was. It may have gone Kevin Durant. I think it was Kevin Durant, Russell Westbrook, James Harden, Serge Ibaka, back to back to back to back. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and they had one finals appearance. And they, they have three MVPs. Yes. They drafted three consecutive MVPs. And an all-defensive first-team player in Serge Ibaka, I think, at one point. At least mm-hmm. all-defense, but maybe all-defensive first-team. And they made one Three times all-defensive team. And they made one finals appearance. And Great what-ifs in NBA history. That might be the best there is. You had Kevin Durant at age 23, Russell Westbrook at age 23, James Harden at age 22, Serge Ibaka at age 22. And they were like $2 million off of signing James Harden. Like, that was, it was over yeah, just, $2 million. Just going to the luxury tax for that team. It's fine. I understand those three weren't MVPs at the time, and James Harden wasn't what he is now. No, and, I don't. And he was more of a six man, they thought. But come, you just on. went to the finals, right? Come on, yeah. Uh, bad ownership, and there's some karma for leaving Seattle, and Seattle fans have to love that. Yes, and Oklahoma City fans just. I mean, even watching this team with with Chris Paul yeah, and Paul, or with Paul George, sorry, exactly and Russell Westbrook, you, exactly what you could have had. <laughs> they would have won a championship by now. The Warriors Absolutely. never exist. Yes, I mean that's a great what if in NBA history because the Warriors are going to go down as the greatest team of all time, better than the Bulls teams. This is the best team of all time, even if they don't have the greatest player. This is the greatest dynasty we've ever seen, at least talent wise during throughout the regular season. regular season best four run stretch of any team ever. But four years, it stretch. doesn't exist if they don't trade James Harden for Kevin Martin. Right. Uh, <laughs> one more Oklahoma City one while we're at it. Okay. So the Jazz traded Ennis Cantor to Oklahoma City, right? Get that first-round pick back and uh, 
Kendrick Perkins and you know nothing sure. else basically. Tibor Place and a Tibor Place. Steve Novak. Uh, the Jazz had the option to trade Ennis Cantor for Isaiah Thomas yeah. to the Phoenix Suns. Here's the thing I remember, and then I thought I was crazy because these rumors apparently disappeared. But I remember it because I remember saying it on the radio. Isaiah Thomas is a head case, mm-hmm. and people didn't like him in Sacramento, and nobody liked him in Phoenix. Mm-hmm. And then he went to Boston, and I feel like either that all got swept under the rug, or I had, what is it, the Nelson Mandela effect? Is that what they call it, when you make up things in your mind? Oh, I mean, I... Like where you, there's groupthink that never actually existed. It's the yeah. Berenstein Bears, Berenstain Bears <laughs> yeah, type yeah, of yeah. thing going on. I, I thought I had made it up in my mind because I never heard anyone talk about it. And then he got to the Cavs and started calling out Kevin Love before <laughs> playing a game. And I thought, right, no one likes this what guy. I've been talking about all along. And yeah, he came no. back and then everyone was like, yeah, he was a horrible in Sacramento. And I thought, okay, I feel a little justified. Yeah, that was that was definitely a thing. You weren't crazy. That was definitely a thing after Sacramento, after Phoenix, that people didn't want his head casiness, whatever that looked like. Clearly, there were problems in that Phoenix locker room, um, probably because they had three point guards in, in uh they had Eric Bledsoe, or sorry, they didn't have Eric Bledsoe at that point. They had Goran Dragic and, and Brandon Knight, I believe. Uh, or did they have Eric Bledsoe at that point? They had three starter-level yeah. point guards. Yeah. Uh, and yeah. then... Bledsoe, Dragic, and... Uh, Bledsoe was on the team yeah. at that point. Okay. Right. And that they traded for Brandon Knight. Thank you. Uh, and, and then... So, and then you had his issues in Sacramento as well. Obviously not a winning situation. The Jazz were thinking, I don't think this Isaiah Thomas kid is ever going to be a good defender, which... True. was absolutely correct. And then they were looking at it as he's at the peak of his career and is going to be averaging 16 points a game, which is nice, but is not what we think is, is a winning caliber player. You know, they just hadn't won in any of those situations. And so it doesn't matter what kind of contract he's on. It, you know, it just wasn't a, a player that the Jazz wanted. And then he goes to Boston and scores 30 points a night and, you know, was one of the best players in the league. You know, voted fifth most MVP votes last year. And then, you know, this year has just been awful. And is not going to get any money next year. It'll be insane to see what he gets paid. And it might be, he's going to sign a one-year $14 million contract. Oh, you think he gets 14? I think he's going to get somebody. And again, there's not that much money on the market is the problem. And there's no one who needs a point guard. Right. And not that point guard. That's the problem. If it was a better point guard, you find money to pay him. He's not that point guard is the problem. Right. It's Uh, just so risky that I don't think, I I, you know, I agree with you that maybe the one-year deal is the way to go, but I think he gets mid-level. Uh, and Jazz ended up with Ricky Rubio out of that trade. That's right. what that uh, that first round pick ended up turning into. Like, Which would you hasn't been good so Ricky, far. Yeah, but would you rather have Ricky Rubio or Isaiah Thomas on this, this year? Isaiah Tom or this year Ricky Rubio. Right. Last year, sure. And then you trade an Isaiah candidate last and Isaiah year. Thomas. You hope to trade, and the Jazz would have never traded Isaiah Thomas after last year because the Jazz are a small market team that can't go get Kyrie right. Irving unless they could have made the trade to go get Kyrie Irving. With Isaiah, right. Maybe you have that trade because you have Isaiah Thomas. This loop, this one uh, hole is too dangerous. Well, no, I mean, and then the other thing is Gordon Hayward doesn't leave, right? I mean, if you've got Isaiah Thomas, then Gordon Hayward doesn't sign to go play with Not Isaiah Thomas Not if he scores 30 points a game. Correct. Right. Not if he scores 30 points a game like he did last year. That's probably correct. Great what-ifs in Utah Jazz history. When we come back, we're going to get you updated on the scores, including a, a scoreboard watcher that Jazz fans need to be paying attention to. On the other side, he's Andy Larson. I'm Ben Anderson. This is the Salt City Hoop Show. Utah's number one sports talk, ESPN 700. Salt City Hoop Show, ESPN 700. He's Andy Larson. I'm Ben Anderson. Andy's the beat writer for the Utah Jazz at KSL.com. I'm a contributor at KSL.com as well. Uh, the Sloan Sports Analytic Conference, the SSAC, was sure. what last weekend? 
Uh, this week. Yeah, I guess this past whatever weekend. this one was two days ago. Uh, yeah, I guess that's not that <laughs> long ago. Was this past weekend, uh, if you don't know what the Sloan Analytics Conference is, it's where you get together. And Is it it's just sports? Yeah. Okay, just sports. They get together, but it's all sports, right? Yes. Uh, they get together. Is this a Daryl Morey project originally? Yeah, Daryl Morey and, and... The general manager of the Houston Rockets from MIT. Yes. Uh, gets uh, together, and, and basically they, they do the most progressive statistical analy- analytics look that there is, and they get all together. And it, it really has changed the NBA. It's changed a lot of sports. Yeah, and it has grown over the last decade. I mean, it used to be uh, you know 30 people in a room, and now it's become this 3,000-person event Barack where President Obama, Obama spoke, <laughs> yeah. right? Like. Now, so, and you can't get any information out of that if you're an Obama fan because they took away everyone's phones. They said, if you tweet about this, you will never be welcome back. Someone recorded it and put it online immediately. Did so. you Did you listen? Uh, no, I haven't actually yet, okay. but you can on, I don't know, some website. It's very easy to find. Interesting. Okay. I didn't know that. Uh, well, he didn't say a whole lot. That was interesting. I can't imagine. Like, you know, said the NCAA should be changed, and that's, that's actually <laughs> pretty interesting. But, you know, like, yeah. other than that, it was... Yeah. His job is not to be a stats guy. Yeah, right. Like <laughs> it's cool and, that and you honestly, had him there. That's He's probably why... one of the less in, less exciting stats. If you're a stats guy, listening to Barack Obama talk is probably not the best stats guy you want to hear from. Yeah. Uh, uh and, and honestly, that's a lot of. So I've been to three Sloan conferences. Uh, that's a lot of the reason why I stopped going is because these panels that you go to are just people talking in the same way that they talk on ESPN or on you know uh, on podcasts or whatever else i don't i don't think that the discussions are worth paying the the conference fee and, and flying out there and everything oh, else i mean that's uh, unfortunate it should be really good if you're there yeah honestly the best part is is being able to talk with your fellow nerds who know a lot about basketball and and you know getting to talk to kevin pelton and tom haberstrow and those guys is but great, you were there but at the all-star not, break yeah you know, i, I get other opportunities yeah you know yeah i can i can talk to zach Lowe when i want to you know those kind of things you brag know? Name drop. My bad. Uh, no, you're good. You're, you're, that's why you're special. I mean, that's why you're a, a good voice in this market. Not everyone can do that. Uh, but there was one thing that came out. It was called Boast Gusters. Yes, not Ghostbusters, Boast Gusters. And what it did is it was a an iPad app that basically said it allows you to draw up plays mm-hmm. and then show you where that how that play will succeed. And then more importantly, it uses artificial intelligence to show you what they think the defense will do to react to that play. Right. I hate this idea. You're anti I love it in junior jazz. I love it in AAU. I love it in high school basketball. I love it in college basketball. I really think the NBA, we should be at a point where we don't look at it that way. Why? Because I think I like the chess match of it being difficult. And if you know the opposing team, Alec Burks, doesn't know where the ball is going to go or is going to get lost, fine. That's your advantage. You won that because you did your hard work before you got to the game. You did your homework before Monday morning when class started. Okay, but if we want the best possible product... Maybe it's not guys like Alec Burks we should care about, but it's the young guys who were just drafted, the 19 to 22-year-olds who want that, who need to see what's happening in a play in front of them and then can react in the right way. So you, you have that education happening on the court. I like it everywhere but on the court. Do it in practice. Okay. You've got game film already. If it aids your game film, I like that. And, and look, there are they already have iPads. They're already on the sidelines. Yeah. Every NFL team's already doing this as well. I just I like the idea that there's some mystery, that there's some human error there, and that if I'm watching it on the play and we're both watching the exact same thing, that then again, I know the opposing team's not going to know what play you're drawing up, but I like the idea that at some point someone's going to have to make an incredible read and go and get in a passing lane to steal a ball, sure. or someone's going to have to make a ridiculous bounce pass like the one you saw last night from James Harden 
to get the layup and say, you know what, that's just a human error or or human greatness, and that's how they ex- succeeded. And I don't think that that takes this takes away from that. Like you're only as good as your model, and your model may be wrong about what the Houston Rockets will do if you do X, right? Like I, I, I just I don't know that that's that big of a worry to me. But honestly, you know, I I think this technology is exciting enough that. I don't really care if it's used during timeouts in NBA action. I think it's it's one of those things that can teach a lot of players about NBA basketball so that they can make the right reads or college basketball or junior jazz, whatever you end, you know, whatever level you can use in it. Uh, other things to come out of Sloan that you thought were interesting? Yeah, I thought this um, shooting data study was really interesting. Basically, there's this Noalytics um, set of data with which has 22 million shots that tracks exactly where these shots landed in or on the rim. So are you a good misser or a bad misser? How right. good of a shooter are you? Right. And so, you know, I think a lot we talk so much about the variance of of making or missing shots, a make or miss right? League. Like yep. it's a make or miss league and guys can go 2 for 6 or 5 for 6 and have the same kind of shooting skill, right? Uh but if we have this an idea of where their shots are going, if they're all finishing finishing short or if they're there's a ton, you know, guys are missing left and right, you can kind of learn who's really a good shooter and who's not. And I think that's potentially really powerful in terms of, you know, who to give huge money contracts to. Because, you know, let's say you're trying to acquire Jay Crowder. Is that 39% from last year real? Or is it more like he got lucky and, and is really the 33% shooter that he has been for the rest of his career? Uh, and it looks like it was real. He shot the well, he's shot decently well since he's been in Utah. He didn't uh, shoot great last night. Disagree. He's 28%. So okay, far. so he's been bad here. I feel like he's getting better looks. I, f- I feel Maybe. like those shots are going to fall. Maybe. I think he's getting looks that he's going to need to, and I think he's going to have success in a Jazz uniform, similar to what he did uh, in the Celtics uniform, more so than what he did when he was in Dallas early in his career when he wasn't really shooting that much, uh, or at least wasn't had, hadn't worked on being a three-point shooter, and then in Cleveland where he was just not getting the right types of shots. Yeah. Uh, other good articles from Sloan in my article about it on KSL.com. Just go to the Jazz section, find that article, and uh, the six basketball papers I, I broke down for you there. Uh Big thanks to Jenny for producing the show, as always. We're going to be back with you again coming up next Tuesday. He's Andy Larson. I'm Ben Anderson. This is Salt City Hoop Show, Utah's number one sports talk, ESPN 700.